0: You're listening to Amitok's Retail Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with the a and Consumer and Retail Group, Firework, Avalara, TGW, and Sezzle. Ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally, the Retail Fast Five is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week too, especially this week if you're on the road. November 22nd, 2023 is the day today. I'm your host, Dan Mazinga.
1: And I'm Chris Walton.
0: And we are here once again to discuss the most important headlines from the past week that highlight how the physical, digital, and human elements of retail are coming together to shape the future. Chris, it's like the biggest week, month, perhaps, three months in retail. We've been celebrating Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals all month long. Um, I wanna know, are you gonna go shopping? Like, what's your plan here?
1: Yeah, I, I hope to get into some stores, and I hope to. You know, okay. it's, it's, a, it's a fine... I'm out in California. Actually, it's a fine Wednesday morning. I got my big cup of coffee. It's like 7.30 right. in the morning when we're recording this for all you fans. So apologize if there's any lag to oh. my performance here get it Ha-ha. you're just
0: california dreaming so be given that you're going to be you're like in one of the most beautiful places in my opinion on the planet Um yes. what what are you going to, what movie are you going to stay in and watch this weekend oh and
1: that is such a good question gosh that's so appropriate for me you know you know what i know. Right? You know you know what i'm trying to watch which i've never seen which i bet you've actually seen this movie the devil's advocate
0: with oh Shana God! Have You've you seen never that? seen that. I've never seen that. I think I'm I don't. Tr- I don't know if it holds up. So I, I'm not going to really? get you too
1: pumped. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna fire that baby up. I got a bottle of duck horn. I think I'm going to fire that up. Drink the bottle of duck horn and and see what happens. See if I see if I find God or maybe the devil. And I don't know how it's going to go.
0: Oh man, that was. In its day, that was a great movie. But yeah, you'll have to tell us if it if it holds up. Yeah, I mean, Keanu, like, oh, he yeah, was like, like in Keanu. his prime. And then yeah. Robert De Niro's in that.
1: Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Yes, that's young right. Charlize Theron. Yeah, that's right. But what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Enough about me, Anne. What are you doing? The audience, inquiring minds, want to know.
0: Um, what am I doing this weekend? I'm gonna try to relax and I'm gonna play pickleball on Saturday. So oh. I'll get that in and then um Indoors, try- I
1: hope. Indoor pickleball. Yes, yes. indoor. Okay. Yes, thank unfortunately.
0: God. If I was where you were, it would be out I'd be I'd be wrestling those olds out there in California for the pickleball courts, putting my paddles oh, in the old
1: biddies would have they'd be there'd be some fighting for them It was intense The old less- biddies.
0: Last year. I mean, you got to wait like two hours and put your paddle in the holder, Chris. And if you aren't ready to go and you are playing, whoever is on the court next to you, they do. They have that. Those are some mean streets out there in the, uh, in the pickleball world in San Clemente. Let me tell you. Oh, my um, God. Oh, yes. my
1: God. Well, I, I can honestly say I've only played pickleball once, so I have no idea what you're talking about. And honestly, I'm kind of proud of that, actually. I'm, I'm holding strong against getting into the pickleball craze. You do you, take, Chris. It would take you too much. But, uh, Stay
0: inside and watch movies all weekend in California. Don't yeah, worry. About and read it. books.
1: Read books. I'm also going to yeah. read The Confederacy of Dunces. That's my other plan this weekend. I'm oh sure my God. there's lots of fans of that book. But uh, I really party, hope I, you
0: I, go have a taco or something. Do yourself a but, favor. Get outside. Have
1: a taco. <laughs> that is amazing. Nice. That's a quarter of the show already. All right, but before we get started, any big content drops that we need to alert our audience to?
0: Uh yes, we have a content drop coming up as you're spending time doing some online shopping for Black Friday. You should check out flights to Palm Springs, because Chris, we are going to be headed out to etail Palm Springs' 20th anniversary event happening yeah, February 20th. They've been doing that 20 years. uh It's Crazy. February 26th through 29th of next year. You can catch executives from Petsmart, Bobble Bar, Vince, Lowe's, Stitch Fix, Merrill, AutoZone, and over 150 other speakers bringing you customized search, email, and commerce tracks, engaging panels, and intimate networking experiences and we have a special offer for all of you listening. Now you Omni Talk fans, you can use code Talk 20 for 20% off your ticket. So check out the agenda and register on their website at etailpalmsprings.com or you can check our show notes for that link. Uh, so Chris, that's, that's my announcement that I have, but you yeah. got anything up your sleeve? No, I mean, I love Palm Springs. I can't wait for that show. And I didn't get I to go
1: last year because I had a family thing that kept me from going to that show. You did that show solo, but I'm excited about it. But, yeah. And actually, there's a couple other things I want to highlight for the audience, too. We've got a great interview with executives from Microsoft and GitHub on why Gen AI is one of the safest bets retailers can make. It's really fascinating content. Can't wait for that. So if you haven't registered yet on LinkedIn, check out our events page on our OmniTalk page and get yourself signed up. There's about 600, 700 people already registered to attend that. And also next week, and we just finished this recording, Finder's Brian Kavanaugh, is returning to go even deeper with us on digital asset management in our next Spotlight series podcast. If you want to keep a lookout for that, and if you want to learn more about Binder, which is the most intuitive digital asset management platform out there, you can also book a demo at binder.com.
0: All right, Chris, it's time. Let's give the people what they want. What they want. Besides... Whether we're crazy. ready or
1: not, let's give them what they want, And yes. right In today's Fast Five, we've got news on Gap's latest earnings performance, Walgreens plans to ship more from stores, Cole's strategic decision to focus more on its stores, an in-person review of the new Toys R Us store that opened last week at the Mall of America, and the always-good-for-a-mic drop, Chad Lusk of the AM Consumer and Retail Group, stops by to give his company's latest report on the state of U.S. consumer and sentiment, in five insightful minutes. But we begin today with big news out of Amazon. And
0: Yes, Chris. Amazon and Hyundai have launched a strategic partnership that includes selling cars on Amazon.com in 2024. According to an Amazon press release, the newly announced partnership includes three key elements. First, beginning in 2024, auto dealers for the first time will be able to sell vehicles in Amazon's U.S. store And Hyundai will be the first brand available for customers to purchase. Second, Hyundai has selected AWS as its preferred cloud provider. And third and finally, next generation Hyundai vehicles will be even more responsive and interactive because they will also come with Alexa already built in. Chris, um, don't, don't get comfortable. Because we are already kicking things off with the A&M put you on the spot question. Oh, wow. Um, they are going right for it this morning. First question, they want to know, while there are a few different components to the Hyundai Amazon partnership, the ability to buy vehicles on amazon.com is the most eye-catching one. Yes. Guess what needs to be true for this to work for consumers, for Hyundai, and for Amazon?
1: Wow, oh man, that's what I love having this the this m as a partner cuz they 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 take the they they take the headlines like today I I always do this thing in my head and where like I try to predict which headline they're going to ask the question about and this was not the one I thought they would pick at all. Yeah. And they went right for it and they expanded the whole conversation that I was planning to have on this. And so kudos to them for doing that. So, you know, to answer that question specifically, I think I think there are two things Amazon has to do really well. Okay. The first one, which is outlined in the announcement, is that there's an actual connection with the dealer. Yeah. So I start to think about this. I just think this is the natural evolution of buy online, pick up in store, but for an automobile. Only in this right. case, the store is the dealership. That's all we're talking about here, cognitively. So mm-hmm. I think it's really smart that they're thinking about the dealer as part of this. The second part, I think, which and I'm waiting to hear what you think about this because you just bought a car like a week ago and you were talking to me about how horrible the experience was and you're hoping somebody would go online and fix this or come mm-hmm. up with a new way of doing this. So I'm curious to hear what you think. But for me, the second part is the pricing and the paperwork. They have to be transparent. They have to be quick. So that you just go into the dealer, you inspect the goods, like you're picking up your online order, you click buy in some way, shape or form to, to close the deal and you're off and there you go. And yeah. and that that's those are the key points I think I would that are required for this to work. The other point I would make, last point I would make, is I love the partner, Anne. I think really Hyundai, okay. Yes, I think Hyundai is the exact right partner to do this with. It's utilitarian, it's kind of the basic B of cars, which is exactly how I think about Amazon. And there's no slight in that. I think Yeah, I, that's
0: true. There's no, exactly no what Amazon is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's the it, white t
0: shirt of cars. Yeah.
1: It is so. Like I think it's 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 a great marriage, and it's the perfect person to perfect st- perfect company to start with, and it's a new big business for Amazon to, to disrupt. It's bold. It's a beautiful move. I actually legitimately might consider making my next purchase a Hyundai, uh, and and actually potentially showing our OmniTalk listeners how this process works from start to finish, uh, depending on when I need to purchase my next car. And
0: I feel like the pronunciation is so like. Can we? get It's Hyundai. Hyundai? Hyundai. Hyundai. I don't know. I looked I it up I, and it was I like, I thought that's Hyundai. what I was
1: saying, but I don't know, but I don't know. Well, but what do you think? I mean, you know what we're talking about.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have more you,
1: firsthand experience. You just went through this process. So yes. like, do you like this idea? Do you think it has legs? What do you
0: think? Absolutely. I mean, I there, this is like the thing I am most thankful for this Thanksgiving. I was just talking about it two podcasts ago, how like I would eliminate the whole car buying process. It is terrible. And I really think that this is the first step I mean, you call it out to answer AM's question. You know, for the consumer, you, you remove the haggling and the BS associated with the car buying process. And I think more importantly, Chris, like for me, I, I liken this to the buy with Prime story we were talking about last week, because I think that there's also a lever, level of comfort that people have purchasing something from Amazon. Like Carvana has been doing this. Great CarMax point. has been doing this. And now I think you have somebody that has you have a relationship with already. You have trust in that Amazon is going to make sure that this process is as smooth as possible. And my my other question here is, can you use a credit card to buy the car? Because they say that you handle financing in the Amazon right. transaction. Like, is Amazon going to get into car financing now? Is another arm of business, like in order to improve things? I mean, can, like we could only put so much money on a credit card to get points. It's a major purchase. Like we wanted to try to see as we if we could get something from doing that. And they limit that across the board at every dealership we talk to. So I think that there's some real potential there for Amazon in terms of other sources of revenue and and a customer who's very comfortable with them. Um I, I think the thing though for Amazon, which is well I'll conclude with um answering AM's question in this. For Amazon to me, they are getting so much more data now about us as consumers in a place where we spend a lot of time that has typically, I mean, before this, it was really a black box to Amazon. I mean, they had what we were doing on our phones or, or, you know, on our mobile devices, but now they have Alexa that's going to be accessible to us at any point in time. They're going to be able to correlate data about where we're driving for how long, even getting more of a sense of our daily habits. But I think you know this is where I get my like tinfoil hat on too, where I'm a little bit like, okay, you think of all the conversations too that happen in these cars, and is Alexa going to be listening, and how is Alexa going to play into this whole thing? So the Alexa part for me is like, oh wow, this could go in a whole variety of of ways for Amazon. But I think it truly is going to be an overall positive experience for everyone involved.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like that that's a really great point too, because it sounds like that's all built in, right? That's yes. the quote. Exactly. Like Regardless of whether you buy the car from Amazon or not, it'll be built into all Hyundais that are sold. So it's really interesting. Yeah. And the other point I'd make too, Anne, is like, you know, Amazon wrote the press release for how they want this experience to be, right? Yeah. And then they worked backwards to design it and, and yep. found... And that's why I think the partner is key on this, to just find the right partner that could step into it first with them, with that press release in mind. So I don't know. I think this thing has like. So the other point too is, this outside your home, the car is the biggest purchase you make. So like yep. this is a huge business for Amazon to go in and potentially disrupt. So headline number two: Gap topped the street's expectations this past week with a quote solid quarter, but also said that its holiday outlook is soft again. According to Chain Store Age, Gap Inc. reported better than expected, a better than expected third quarter with earnings comp sales that blew earnings and comp sales that blew past Wall Street's expectations, though also still fell by 2%, and was helped by the improved performance of its biggest brand, Old Navy. Here is the performance breakout by a brand. Old Navy positively comped at 1%. Gap's net sales dropped 15% compared to last year, but when one excludes the estimated negative impact from the sale of Gap China and the shutdown of Yeezy Gap, God, I almost forgot about that, Ann, net sales were only down 6% versus last year. Banana Republic's comp sales were down 8%. And Athleta's comps brought up the rear. They were also down 19%. And my question for you is this. Yes. Are you ready to buy into a gap
0: turnaround? Oh, man. I'm still crossing my fingers, Chris. You're crossing your fingers,
1: but are you buying
0: in? No. I, no. or here's the deal. No. Two things have to happen for yeah. me to actually get on board with this. Dick <laughs> Dixon needs to start pulling out some Barbie like magic out of a hat to really make this brand relevant again. And I don't think that this announcement, like you, you told me yesterday, like that he's only been enrolled for a few months. So we really need to start seeing him like actually the the results of some of his work. And I think people are putting a lot of eggs in the whole Barbie Mattel basket here and thinking that that's going to help, but you have some serious declines across multiple brands yeah, you do. that are going to really need some support. The second thing I think is old Navy against all odds for some, somehow they need to continue consecutively comp positively. They've got to have this year over year over year. And each quarter it's like down 1% up 1%. It has been at least. And I dug a little bit more into old Navy and, um, this comes from the team at, uh, the best one yet, but they said that old Navy is 55% of the gap brand sales and the number two us apparel retailers. So are they in position to maintain this positive 1%, um, comp I was also not aware, but they, Old Navy apparently has done this and they stopped discounting last quarter. So they still saw a 1% increase in sales when they were cutting back on discounting. So I think if, if Old Navy can continue to hold the brand up that we might continue to see some of this, but. I mean, this was the biggest jump that they've seen in Gap uh, stocks since it came on the stock market this this late last quarter. So I think wow. that's tell that's telling for me. Like, you really got to push this momentum, and I just I don't know if that's possible, especially with the the soft customer that we're seeing or like soft consumer sentiment that we're seeing going to come to spending this time of year.
1: Yeah, so I mean, what I'm. Do you,
0: I... What do you think? Like, you're a yeah. Gap expert.
1: Well, I don't know about that. I mean, it's, I worked there 20 years ago. But uh, I mean, I'm, I to answer my question first, I, I'm not bought in on the turnaround at all or that he's okay. even had an impact at this point, despite all the fun social media pictures that Richard Dixon has been putting out on social media, showing all the tours he's making of stores and distribution facilities. Like, you know, until I see a strategy, I'm not bought in. I don't know what it is. But, um, and I mean, let's be honest, anyone that understands retail understands that, especially in fashion, no CEO is gonna have any material impact on the current state of the business until yeah. about nine months of being enrolled, because that's how yeah. long it takes the goods to land. Right. Yeah, and so right. that's that's the first sign of 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 the strategy working or not working. Your points about old Navy are dead right, though. I mean, old Navy's always been the strength. Like there's been talks about spinning off Old Navy before. Right. That's um, right. You yeah. know? And so like I think that's still a, a very solid business probably buoyed by the fact that back to school was very strong and back to school appears strong across the board for everyone with the possible exception of target, which we talked about last week, Abercrombie had incredible results from the back to school season as well. So, so there's some industry uptick here that was to be expected. Now, will it hold for the fourth quarter? That'll be the big question, but I think old Navy is still very strong, but those other three brands. Yeah. I mean, especially like banana and Athleta, man, they're struggling. So Yeah. We got to see more. We got to see a plan in in place. He says he's going to take Banana more upscale, which is probably something that I would agree with in part and parcel, but how you actually execute that and can you deliver on the brand promises is the next step. I noticed actually, for example, in my Banana Republic store, they've gone back to the men's on one side of the store, uh, women's on the other versus segregated uh, presentations of the product. So I thought that was interesting. Is that part Mm. of their strategy going forward to make it look like the more traditional gap layout that was always in vogue, but that's new do for Banana, So we'll see.
0: What do you think about old Navy, Chris? Like, do you think that they have the, like old Navy has been a huge component of gaps uh, or a huge part of why, why, gap stock is doing so well, but do you, like what has to be true for old Navy to continue down a path to success to really buoy the rest of the brands until that comeback can happen?
1: You know, I think Old Navy is pretty solidly positioned. I mean, you know, it, yeah. it, it, to your point, it, to your point in the numbers you claimed, I mean, it's really competing against the Walmarts, the targets of the world in, mm-hmm. you know, the affordable clothing option, you know, from a specialty apparel retailer. The one, the, one, the one entrant, though, that could pose a problem to them, in my opinion, is Primark because they're even more aggressively priced and they're continuing right. their US expansion too. So while there's a solid business there, there still are potential threats to it. So I think, you know, as long as you've got good merchandise, great value, great pricing, you're hitting those key moments in the season in the right way, the business can still flourish, but you've got to come up with a defensible strategy and of course continue to make your experience as Channely relevant as possible.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, Dick. Hopefully we're crossing our fingers for you. Turn turn the ship around. Yeah.
1: Nobody wants you to succeed more than
0: us. That is yes. for sure. All right. uh, Headline number three, Walgreens recently closed a warehouse in Edwardsville, Illinois, dedicated to filling e-commerce orders for household items such as toothpaste and nail polish, signaling that it is going all in on the idea that its stores will do double duty as retail outlets. And delivery hubs. According to the Wall Street Journal, the strategy, which doesn't include the company's pharmacy operations, is meant to make handling of online orders more efficient by having a single system for handling goods rather than managing separate distribution networks for e commerce and in store sales. Customers shopping on the retailer's website or app can still opt to have items shipped in two to four days via FedEx, but those orders will be sent out from one of the company's 16 distribution centers. For same-day delivery, however, when items are back in stock nearby, customers who have selected no-rush shipping are asked if they'd like to get their items delivered earlier, if possible. If they opt in, their orders are fulfilled by a local store's employees and delivered via DoorDash or Uber Eats. Customers are charged $5.99 for either shipping or same-day delivery, a fee that is waived for orders of $35 or more. And of course, Chris, Walgreens shoppers, also still have the option to place orders at Walgreens through the delivery apps run by DoorDash, Uber Eats, Instacart, and Target-owned shipped. Chris. Nice job, by the way. That, that was, was a, a long, long, yeah, long That was, that long was, a, that was a one
1: for the record book, Anne, but you killed it. Nice job. Uh,
0: okay, so what do you think of this idea? They're getting rid of e-commerce warehouses, not a, a common practice that we're hearing about from mm-hmm. other retailers, but are you are you in on this? Are you out on this? Like, where do you stand?
1: Yeah, you know when I first heard, when I first read we were joking yesterday when I first read this headline I was like this is a freaking terrible idea you're gonna force all your fulfillment in your stores mm-hmm. but then I read the details of the, in the story and I actually kind of love this move Anna. Yeah. yeah yeah uh, you do too I can tell but yeah mm-hmm. I mean I think the reason I love it I think it's a great example number one of being able to flex your network to the true needs of your shopper yeah. you know if people want to wait for it then ship it from a central location which has always been one of the value propositions of the micro fulfillment idea is that like, you can't get same day delivery from a centralized operation, no matter how automated it is, because it's just too far away. It's too far in the outskirts of the region of where you're trying to serve. So, so for that reason, I love it because when you think about the customer that's actually ordering things online at Walgreens, they probably need it same day. If you don't, you're probably going somewhere else, right?
0: Yes. 100%. Yes. I totally agree. I was asking the same question. I was like, in what world am I going to Walgreens to order something for a delivery four to five days out? Like that's a that's a purchase that I would be going to Amazon, to Target, to Walmart for like, so I can get a lower price. Like to me, it'd be rare, rare that I'd be going to Walgreens for this kind of thing. But I mean, would you, what what would you do? I can't even no, think I, of what I do this for.
1: No, I wouldn't, but it seems like there still are people that are. And there's, there's tons of, there's white label options that allow you to still do, like Bunch is a great example. Like we had them on the podcast. His, their CEO, like their white label option for delivery on a specific day of the week, if you do want to order from Walgreens, but you can even do it cheaper than say, getting it from, you know, the other options that are out there. So that's, that's still an option, but you're right. Like same day is what it's all about here. And, and
0: they're paying $5.99 either way. That's what I don't understand.
1: Right. And, and yeah. And so like they're, and they're going to just smartly white label the options that they have from DoorDash and Uber Eats. Maybe the employees pick, but possibly... The Uber drivers and the DoorDash drivers come in and do the picking. So, so I just think it's I think it's really smart because it's showing they're thinking about their customer and the needs states that they are in. So, Kudos to Walgreens on this one. I think it's I think it's really smart. Now you got to handle the inventory inaccuracy and the operational impacts on the Mm -hmm. store, but I don't think you're picking that many items out of the store either. And not so like I think that's more doable than say at a large operation like a like a Walmart, for example.
0: Right, that's a great point. Like what's your average like units per basket? Like three, four maybe? I mean, it's not gonna be a lot. I think- It's like the the hurdle's
1: $35, right? Yes. To get free delivery too. So yeah, so you're probably pushing that a little bit. So yeah, probably three or four.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think the other part here is that when you first read this headline, I, like I was assuming that they were including pharmacy, too. And to me, it was like, how in the world are you going to do this with pharmacy? Yeah, it's not so pharmacy. It, That's important. It's important to include that they are not doing this for pharmacy items. They, I think they should stick to as many other fulfillment met- methods as possible, given all that they've had going on over there with their inventory and store staff. Um, but I think it's really important. Like when you have as many store locations as Walgreens does, like it makes more sense to ship from the store. You're having, you're giving customers a better experience. I also like this, Chris, because I think it it opens up the opportunity for Walgreens to evolve to how do I operate like that Wawa store format that we're starting to see where you have your employees focused on and practicing picking those one, two, three items, pulling something mm. from the pharmacy and then delivering at the front door of the store, much like we're seeing in, um, in the Wawa store where there's, you're not wandering the aisles. You're just going there, you're picking up your product. It's quick. You, or, you know, you order via the app or you walk up and order things just like you're already going in for your prescription pickup. Now, like, I think this opens it up for a much more efficient and a much more safe environment for the Walmart or sorry for the Walgreens employees, um, down the road. I don't know if, if I, I mean, that's probably way far out down the future, but I, I just, I think that that, method um, of just changing the mindset of the employee in the Walgreens store could be could be something that we could see grow in the coming months and years
1: yeah that's a whole another longer term angle to this and they are testing it seems like testing models similar to that in Chicago that we've gotten wind of but yeah I mean I've said this before too and like kudos to Stephanie Cruz Curley and her team at uh, Walgreens like the 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 Even the the app for same-day delivery is so efficient and so easy to use that if you're a Walgreens shopper and you're listening and you haven't tried it yet, I would tell you to try it because it honestly changes your life. And Mm -hmm. it makes the whole process of getting everything you need from them so much easier. All right, and let's introduce one of our all-time favorite guests, Chad Lusk. Perk those ears up, OmniTalk fans, because joining us now for five insightful minutes is Chad Lusk. Partner and managing director at the AM Consumer and Retail Group. Chad is here to discuss the results of his company's latest fall US Consumer Sentiment Survey. Chad, in AM CRG's spring 2023 consumer sentiment survey, you found that US consumer sentiment was up despite concerns of inflation and fears over their own financial well-beings. What does the fall 2023 sentiment survey tell us about how they are feeling now, six months later?
2: Uh, so we found that that optimism has indeed fallen with the season here but what's what's really interesting is to track where consumers headspaces have been despite well, by and large relatively consistent opinions on the economy at large um, over the past yeah. few okay. semi-annual cycles of this survey for instance, consumers belief that we're in or about to hit a recession really haven't materially moved but yet, as you pointed out, there was a notable bump in the spring where we saw a degree of this inflation fatigue, uh, a need to spend on themselves despite economic concerns, as if kind of enough was enough and they needed to maintain a semblance of self through it. Um, you know, you saw that in categories like experiences and travel given the summer season. Well, now in the right. fall here, we did see some snapback in consumers' cautiousness and their spending habits from the spring. Uh, But what's really notable is it hasn't fully reverted as consumers are telling us they're still net more optimistic and planning to spend more than this time last year. So that'll have some really interesting nuances in terms of where they put their money for the holiday season.
0: So Chad, where are they going to be spending then for the holiday season and kind of as we head into 2024?
2: So uh, again, some some reversion from some of that sharp increases and experience-based spending, spending on indulgences. Uh, those type of things saw the sharpest declines this fall, and, and consumers are back to prioritizing basic needs with, with discretionary spend down. Um, but within that, there's there's a notable increase in products and services, for instance, tied to positive well-being. So for instance, wellness and, and fitness spend are up uh, about 400 basis points from, from spring, and actually over 10% since last fall. So it kind of begs the question of whether spend is being diverted from these discretionary experiences to fitness as sort of a winter indulgence, or actually mm-hmm. if personal health and well-being are starting to be treated as a basic need. Um, the other thing that popped to us are product categories that are more associated with holiday-oriented spend. Um, that's correlated with a, the year-a-year desire to spend more than fall 22. So categories like electronics, fragrances, um, jewelry, and accessories, these are all up Eleven to thirteen percent or more from last fall.
1: Let me put you on the spot then here too, chad. what What does this all mean for the average retail executive listening to this podcast? I mean, what should retailers expect from their consumers this holiday season, that net net? Following that same thread, you know, while consumers
2: uh, are dialing back on discretionary spending overall, we are seeing an increase in consumers' desire to spend on gifts for others and themselves for this holiday season, the six to eight hundred basis points versus last year. So they are baking that into their spend budgets for the upcoming season, almost as saying that is my uh, that is my necessity, that is my indulgence coming into the the winter. Uh, Channel wise. Uh, While consumers still prefer to shop in-store for everyday purchases, uh, it's going to be a digital holiday. Um, Over 70% of consumers say that they prefer to do their holiday shopping online versus in-store. There is an exception to that. Um, As you know, the secondhand market has really ramped up Mm -hmm. this past year. Uh, You have retailers like Lululemon and, and Patagonia kind of leading the charge, and a lot of retailers having launched their own secondhand programs. Um, so over half of consumers are shopping secondhand or resale today as a way to save money. That's the vast majority the the primary driver. Uh, but unlike where 70% of holiday shoppers are saying they want that to be online, nearly 70% want to shop when they're shopping secondhand, do it in store, uh, hmm. presumably because of of the need to, to confirm quality, if you will, there.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Chad. Um, it, as we're heading into... One of the biggest weeks in retail here, Black Friday coming up in a couple of days, Cyber Monday starting on Monday. What are any last minute tips that you might have for retailers this holiday season in light of what we've just been talking about? As a, as a former marketer, the most obvious
2: success factor is be where your consumers are. And they've indicated a clear preference to shop holiday online, full stop. Uh, but I think the the big story for this holiday season is going to be around inventory management. Uh, There were a number of retailers uh, this past year, Target was one of the first kind of verbal leaders, for example, that took big inventory write offs from seasonal inventory. Um, And so while I expect some changes are already embedded in holiday planning this year, it does always come down to sort of managing traffic. And so, you know, we're on the cusp here of Black Friday. So once Black Friday and surrounding events, you know, really give us a strong indication of the strength of the season. Um, retailers should be making sure that they remain flexible and be prepared to offer promotions, discounts, and these kind of non-essential gift-giving categories to manage inventory positions. Thanks, was Chad. Really great, chat. Thanks so much.
1: Headline number four, there's more tough times at Kohl's, Ann. That's, oh that's, that's kind of an interesting one to say, very alliterative. Uh, according to Retail Dive, Kohl's Q3 net sales fell 5.2% year-over-year to 3.8% billion, dollars with comps down 5.5%. In addition, CEO David Alves also left the company after only one year, as CEO Tom Kingsbury said he eliminated the role so that stores and supply chain teams could report directly to him. Ouch. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's one method.
1: Yeah. On the bright side, while overall comps were down more than 5% in Q3, store comps in the period fell just 1% and were up slightly year-to-date. Instead, CEO Kingsbury pointed to the retailer's digital efforts, undermining its overall performance. And it's been a while since we've discussed Kohl's on this program. So my question for you is, did this headline make you
0: miss them? I mean, a little bit. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, me too. We haven't covered them in a while, but honestly, Chris, what is the plan here? I mean... We just heard Chad in the last segment tell us that consumers want the ability to shop for deals online. So this whole like digital is bringing us down and moving in that opposite direction to focus on stores feels like, I don't know that I would completely turn that around. That would not be my approach, but... You can't, you guys, you just move forward. You just move forward, Coles, and see what happens. Um, Neil Saunders was quoted in this article talking about like if you w- if you do want right to write the ship, there does need to be significant investment in the stores, which I don't disagree with. I think there yeah. still needs to be some improvement there. I mean, the checkout process, the planograms, like all we've heard from Coles this quarter is that we're just gonna put the holiday stuff up front and then we're right. shoving the rest of the stuff and in right. back into piles and racks, and you know, it's a, it's not a great shopping experience. So I I think like from my perspective, there's got to be more to the strategy. There's a lot missing. We heard little beeps about, you know, there's going to be live streaming and there's going to be holiday pop-ups that they're going to try to do to get more people into the stores. But from my perspective, it's just kind of copying what their competitors are doing. It's not a new like creative, it's not new strategy for growth. I, I just don't know what the Kohl's you know, plan of attack here is, but maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. Are you thinking that this is a solid plan? Like what would you be doing as a merchant right now if you were no,
1: I, I don't I don't think it's a solid plan at all. Um, you know, and the big question I would have if your stores are doing so well, which seems like the purview of the COO, you know, in a lot of ways, why are why are they firing him? You know, I don't know. Why, why yeah. is the CEO taking more hold over? the operations in the supply chain. That just seems very strange to me. Um, And honestly, it seems like a dumpster fire is about to start, Anne, because I read the earnings presentation that they gave to the Wall Street as well. Yeah. And I think it's important to call this out. So here are Kohl's four strategic priorities, Anne. Are you ready for me to read them to you?
0: Yes, I am. Let's do it.
1: All right. Starting off with a bang, your and my personal favorite, enhance the customer experience, number one. Number two, accelerate and simplify the value strategies at Kohl's. Number three, manage inventory and excess with discipline. And of course, four and fourth and finally, strengthen the balance sheet. Which, Anne, yeah, when I sit back and look at, are basically four things that apply to every
0: single business out there. <laughs> right. I mean, there's nothing unique about that at all, right? No, there's not, and so then I like this is okay. like the Macy's, Macy's North Star days. That's what this reminds me of.
1: It, it, it kind of is, yeah, in a lot of ways. Even though I'd say that was even more tangible, but it's 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 right. also a continuation of where they've been because I've read their earnings presentations a lot over the. I mean, remember they had the win in active wear was the previous strategy, which I you know which the board signed off on too. So like, yeah. where did that suddenly go? But um, but my question too is like. They say they're going to focus on stores as the growth vehicle, and they they talk about you know enhancing the customer experience. But aside the types of things, aside from the types of things you mentioned, that's really it. And Sephora is going to be the growth vehicle. Yeah, fine for maybe a little bit, but how are you going to get traffic once that starts comping itself? So yeah, you know, the There's a there's a tagline that I love when I see it in a present. It's quote optimize the assortment to reflect customer interest no effing crap i mean that's like that's like basic merchandising that everyone has to do that's not a strategy so it it may sound good to those that are uneducated in a powerpoint but i just i just don't get what's going on here now to your question not an easy task but this isn't going to do it and the fact that there's a there's a rift up at the c-suite already is not a good sign
0: yeah especially when you're talking about like what are you going to do after holiday? Like customer interest, sure, you're putting the holiday stuff up front, but then like what's going to carry you the rest of the year? That's the part that doesn't make any sense to me either. But oh, man. Good and to luck- overtly Kohl's.
1: shun digital is really odd too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, good luck, Coles. We'll we'll check back in We're later We're pulling on. for you. Uh, All right. Headline number five. Last week, Toys R Us opened a new flagship store in the Mall of America. According to Retail Dive, the new 11,000 square foot Mall of America location is the second flagship store in the U.S., joining the first location at the American Dream Mall in New Jersey. In-store shoppers can find toys and games and even take pictures with Jeffrey the giraffe. Chris, (laughs) you were our uh, boots on the ground correspondent here. You saw this firsthand this weekend. Uh what what did you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, my takeaway, a couple of things. So I'll give you like the nostalgic takeaway. It was super fun. I hyped it up to the kids all weekend long. I didn't tell them we were going and they were like, What are we doing, dad? And we walked through the whole mall to find it and and then they saw it. And they were like super excited. And so, you know, net net the experience delivered for me in terms of you know what I intended to do with my kids, you know, that weekend. But yeah, you know, with that said, and I think there's a few critical observations I would have as well. First, um, first. Um, there were no prices on any of the products, um, which, you know, like, I say on,
0: like, were there stickers on the boxes
1: there uh, on a few, but for the majority of them, no, and there were no okay. prices on the shelves either. So, you know, but my thing is like, okay, that's fixable. It's probably honestly a symptom of the fact that they just weren't ready to open as much as they wanted to be. And they wanted to get open before black Friday and before the holiday season starts. Right. So Smart. so I can, I can understand that. And it's probably worth the risk. And they had people with scanners going around. So if you wanted to ask them how much something costs, you could find out.
0: That's but- simple. That's like waiting to get a closet opened so that I can buy Dove soap at Target.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was not a great experience on that front for sure, but hopefully it's fixable. They might have already fixed it. Who knows? But the other point I make is the cash wrap is really poorly designed. There isn't enough space to handle the traffic throughout the course of a large holiday season. So it's going okay. to bottleneck. It's going to become massive You know, if they correct the pricing issues and get people into the store. So that's an issue. But the third point, which is something you brought up to me in conversations about this, is I was more excited about it than my kids. Honestly, yeah.
0: Um, I mean, that was and, my first question for you. It's like, yeah, what is Like, yes, for you and I, it's nostalgic. But like, do the kids care? Are they were they excited to be there once they like got in and saw the toys? Like, what was it like? What did they? Well, say?
1: The, the interesting about that point is like the kids. Once you take them into a the toy store, the kids will be interested in something, right? right? For it's sure. Like, for it's sure. It's like crack. But in retrospect, as I was thinking about it, and I think this is important for the long term mm-hmm. nature of what they're trying to do here, is the assortments were smaller than what I find at a typical Target or a Walmart. Like, really, I, there were not nearly as many Legos, you know, uh, as uh, was as, it just
0: there was more quantity, like of other like variety, I guess, like where they weren't going deep on like where I feel like Target and Walmart have to like go deep on certain categories. Was I would it just say it's so I mean, stuff.
1: I don't know the exact floor pad of a Target or a Walmart dedicated to toys, but it's it's not that much smaller or it's pretty equivalent to 11,000 square feet of space. You know, it's it's not it's it's a pretty large part of the floor pad where you're capturing a lot. And so, you know, it's felt like it felt like Toys R Us was invested in other categories like particularly games were very big in the back oh, of the store, much more so than tar- than than a Walmart or a Target. But you compare that to like Legos, which are the key traffic driver for our family, much, right. much smaller assortment. So so I don't know. That's where I wonder like how how strong are the legs atop which this concept stands as it tries to roll out? I think in a market like the Mall of America, with that type of traffic, tourist, makes sense. Those big yeah. high tr- places that already get the traffic, it makes sense. But as it tries to extend out regionally, I still have a lot of concerns about that because yeah. you're missing the superstore effect of what made Toys R Us what it was. And that model may be gone forever. Who knows? But it seems like it's working for Dix. Dix just had a great um, earnings report too. So I, so I don't know, but I'm the way it's currently constituted and the size it is, I have concerns as it rolls out further.
0: Okay. Yeah. That was gonna be my next question for you. Was like, okay, MOA, American Dream, the first two openings. It's they're tourist destinations. You have people in that gifting mindset. Like you were like, We're gonna make a day of it. We're gonna go to the Mall of America and like be there. And I'm I'm planning on probably leaving with something with my kids. Oh yeah. but what happens when that format goes to like the B2C malls or B or C malls or like, you know, in the Macy's concept that they we've been seeing for the last year? I'm curious if that will have any legs. And then the last point is they're going into food too. Like it's, I, I imagine that was not open yet at the Mall of America, it sounds like, but apparently I they're doing notice. like the Jeffrey cafe and stuff, which I also question, like, again, nostalgic for you and I, but like, are your kids going to want to stay in the toy store and like have a malt or something or whatever it might be? Like, I, I just don't know that that's the right venue for this or another complication to add to the process, but. I don't know. I guess M&M World and all those places do it too. But
1: yeah, but it's it, a tough, tough competitive ground inside of a mall. But hey, maybe that's actually an interesting point for like if you try to go strip mall with this instead of like traditional yeah, that's malls true. too. Like, you know, that's like, true. could you shrink this format down? But I don't know if the economics work on that either because it's a tough, it's t- toys is a tough business because everyone sells what you sell.
0: Right. Okay. Well, thanks for that report, Chris. I appreciate it. And and for all the photos on LinkedIn. Check them out if you haven't
1: seen Yeah. There were some of the worst social media photos photos I ever took. Like I don't know what angles I was thinking about with those for those that saw them. I apologize. You're
0: just you know, you gotta keep doing it. Just keep doing more. Uh, Stick to my my strengths. Yeah, find some stores in California to take some pictures in this weekend. Um, all right, Chris, let's go to the lightning round. Black Friday started about two months ago, as we mentioned, but uh, let's just pretend we're in regular old Black Friday times. What would be one doorbuster worthy product that you would wait in line for this year?
1: Oh man. Um, You know, if there was a deal on, uh, on, 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 was it Casa Azul tequila? Is that what it is? Classe oh, Casa Azul. Azul. Casa. Yes. God, I can't even say it right. Yes, I don't know why I brain farted on that. Casa Azul tequila. Yeah, I would be all over that. Like, give me a fifty oh percent discount on that, and man, there'd you be think a run on like, your store if we you gotta- could do that. We nah. gotta start
0: looking for that. No, you don't think so?
1: Maybe a Costco. That'd be a great Costco deal if they could ever get their hands okay. on that. Okay. Okay. God, run on oh, that. Oh,
0: Chris, you find that you you buy two bottles. One. Yeah, for you'll me, you'll
1: love that, huh? Yeah. All yes. right. I actually, owe you one for your birthday too, because that's kind of my signature gift that I give you every year. But I have not given you that gift yet, so I need to go out and do that. So I'm on record as saying I will procure one of those bottles for you. All right. A woman posted a now viral TikTok video showing that her Stanley water bottle had survived a car fire with the ice. <laughs> still unmelted, which is quite frankly, unbelievable. And do you own a Stanley water bottle? And if not, why not?
0: No, I don't. And I realized I was, I had a meeting last week with some people from uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, Lululemon, the Home Depot and Ikea. And of the, all of those people, I was the only one who did not own a Stanley water bottle. So I realized I got to get my, myself in gear. I just, I'm not a fan of metal drinking vessels. So I think that that's the problem. I need like ceramic or glass all the way, paper, I don't know, but something about metal it's like probably i don't know i'm I'm going down a rabbit hole that, i so agree but second
1: quote of the show i'm not into metal drinking ware or whatever you said drinking vessels yeah drinking vessels yes vessels is even more important
0: um uh, all right chris uh thanksgiving is upon us once again what is your favorite movie scene that takes place at a dinner table and extra points if it's at a thanksgiving dinner table
1: oh man that question is is really hard um you know, it's funny, I was listening to the Rewatchables, the Bill Simmons podcast that he does on old movies yesterday, and I picked yeah. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles specifically because it's Thanksgiving. And they are having a discussion on whether that is the best Thanksgiving movie. And honestly, they couldn't come up with another one, and I don't think I can either. I'm guessing you might be able to since you asked this question, but, you know, so for me, I can't, and they don't even have a dinner in that movie that I recall, so... Um, You know, the most memorable dinner scene for me is probably the end of Godfather 2 when they all sit down at the table okay. and they bring back everybody from the first episode. That's probably the most memorable dinner scene that I can remember. But I don't. Can you think of one?
0: Oh, no. I this like the only dinner scene that I could imagine. Like I start, I thought of Beetlejuice, but that was not mm. uh, that's, that's a good not one too. that's not related to Thanksgiving, unfortunately. So I would not get the extra points on that one.
1: Right. Yeah. So it's probably some like Vince Vaughn movie or something where somebody has like a Thanksgiving dinner or something with like Jennifer Aniston. I feel like that might have happened, but who knows? All right, let's close this out. I recently learned that camel milk is becoming an increasingly popular ingredient amid growing demand for food products that claim to offer health benefits. So my question to you to close out the show, Anne, is who is your all-time favorite camel, living or fictional?
0: Uh, Well... First of all, I think we need to have a sidebar on why can't why you're having conversations with camel milk. But we can we can discuss that after the podcast. Um actually the first thing I thought of uh that came to mind was this Shel Silverstein. Did you ever read like Where the Sidewalk Ends? Do you remember course, those collection of, of poems? Yeah. Okay. There was a poem that I used to love in there that my parents used to read to me all the time, um, called The Unicorn. And they have this, it was like, there's the like humpy bumpy camels and the chimpanzees oh my and the God. cats and rats and elephants and something something something. Do you know that one?
1: I do not, but it is so great oh, you try to re- it. It was it so it in good, but yeah,
0: like the humpy bumpy camels was my favorite part of that. So, wow. um, I wow. don't know. It's and like people are expecting me to say Joe Camel probably or something. Well, actually, that's I thought the reality.
1: I thought you were going to say JP Camel, the friend of our show, because he's. Spelled differently oh. with the K, but shout out to him because that's what I that's oh. why that's why I specifically put it in because I want to give him a shout-out too, because he's a huge fan of our show. And uh yeah, thank you for all, all right. his support. So all right, happy birthday today to Jamie Lee Curtis, Scar jo, and the man worthy of the second Sopranos reference in the last few weeks on the Fast Five, the great Steven Van Zandt, aka AKA. Silvio Dante. And remember if you can only read or listen to one retail podcast in the business, make it OmniTalk. The only retail media outlet run by two former executives from a current top 10 US retailer. Our Fast 5 podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news, and our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top 5 things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us. And we do it all just for you and we try really hard to make it all fit within the preview pane of your inbox. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. You can follow us today by simply going to youtube.com slash OmniTalkRetail. And if you know where the sidewalk ends, please do let Anne and me know. So until next week, on behalf of all of us at Talk Retail, as always, be careful out there.
0: Yami Talk Fast Five is brought to you in association with the a and Consumer and Retail Group. The a Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Fireworks. Firework is the largest video commerce solution built for the world's leading brands. They empower brands with shoppable and live stream video on their own websites where people like to shop. Put your commerce in motion with Firework. Find out more at firework.com and Avalara. Avalara makes tax compliance faster, easier, more accurate, and more reliable for 30,000-plus businesses and government customers in over 90 countries. Avalara leverages 1,200-plus signed partner integrations to power tax calculations, document management, tax return filing, and tax content access. Visit Avalara.com to improve your compliance journey. And TGW, revolutionize your grocery supply chain with TGW. Their experts tailor automation solutions to your needs, ensuring you have the edge. Work with TGW before your competition does. Discover more at TGW-group.com. And finally, Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy-now, pay-later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit Sezzle.com.